Welcome to the Charity Network News Podcast, inspiring you to make the world a better place. Our host is Lex Lumiere, an award-winning therapeutic artist whose family legacy includes over a hundred years of art exhibits and providing artwork for international non-profit fundraisers. In our show, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from philanthropy leaders or creative souls, as well as news and insights to help you make a positive impact in your community. Now let's jump into your daily dose of juice. Please join us in creating excellence. I'm investments. Let's discuss the people who have spent years pouring into us, or maybe they just poured into us for a season in our lives and made a genuine time and investment and a genuine impact in who we've become today. Sometimes it can be a teacher that spent extra time with us when we were struggling in a particular subject. Sometimes it's a counselor. It could be a neighbor who helped our parents out when they were in a bond. It could be part of a church that helped out your grandparents when they needed you know, a home improvement project or they just needed a friend to talk to. It could be anyone. It could be someone who goes out of the way to give you a little gas money when someone just stole your wallet. You just never know when angels are gonna show up in human form in your life. And what I wanna look at today is how people pour into us and invest in us and help us rise and become more successful than what we were before. Being an adult, we sometimes get a little busy and we do not always get to take the time to stop and make an inventory list of the top 12 people who've contributed most to our lives, most to our family lives, just to go back and stop and thank them. Or even if they didn't make it through the pandemic, to thank someone in their family and said, hey, you know, your dad or your sister or your brother or your mother or your grandparent made this amazing investment in me. I think about this with my own grandmother when she was a Sunday school teacher for years all of the students that would come in and out of the house and she would cook for them or have special events for them or celebrate for them. To the person looking in, it seems so small, but sometimes just acknowledging someone can make all the difference in the world. When I was very young, my mother began volunteering in a group called the Marthas. And the Marthas were a group of women who would cook, help with special events, go out and feed the homeless, do a little missions work, all for First Baptist Church. Now, First Baptist Church is one of the oldest churches in the state of Texas. It has actually became a church before Texas became a state. It is very well established. It's very large. You might even consider it a mega church. It's not quite as big as Lakewood is there, but it counts. I grew up between there and a church called Unity. And Unity was more new age and more metaphysical and very different philosophies, uh, very different thought processes. You know, uh, First Baptist Church was traditional Christian. And so I grew up walking between both of these worlds. And for me, it poured into me as an adult. 
Now, I had no idea that one of my parents, my mom had actually traveled to and from a small town to come volunteer with my cousin's mother. And it was about a two hour drive and each way. And the amazing thing is, is when we finally moved to Houston, I would be 10 years old. And at 10 years old, I would become part of First Baptist Church Youth Group. And head of that ministry, the pastor was Johnny. And Johnny poured into my life and the lives of hundreds of youth from the time I was 10 until I was 18 years old. That's pretty significant. I have many happy memories with Johnny. He always made church camp because I spent one summer after the other after the other with him on top of many youth programs. Always made the camp fun because for him, Christianity wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. And he really worked to push us into spending journaling time, one-on-one time in the Word, one-on-one time exploring our relationship with our Heavenly Father and in prayer. We're not just as individuals, but with a partner or a group. And that has stayed with many of us as adults. It stays with me now. I do a daily devotional every day. I wake up in the morning and have my coffee. It just gives me a different focus for the day beyond what's happening in the world. And so I'm very excited for you to meet Johnny and kind of get a few pearls of his wisdom and his background, what led him to his career when he was exploring all kinds of religions. And so I think that his perspective and his story is very unique. And I hope that you very much enjoy it. To introduce him, I really wanted to share with you a verse because to me, this is Johnny. It's Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I think that this represents the beauty of who Johnny is. And then in the second part, verse 27, it says, Indeed, he was ill. In this interview, we kind of explore how Johnny and his wife both had COVID and both were restored and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. During COVID, Johnny as a pastor, along with many other people in the ministry and the church, have worked tirelessly to contribute and to support our communities nationwide and internationally in missions work throughout the pandemic. I just want to say for a moment, I'm so grateful that I was blessed to know Johnny that all of the steps that took part in my life led me to meet a man like him. I hope today before you get started today that you Really take a few moments to, again, write your top 12 lists and share with people 
how grateful you are for their contribution into your life. My name is Lex Lumiere. I am with the United States Department of Arts and Culture for the People's State of the Union Citizen Address. And today my guest is Johnny Gerwin. He is a, I know him as a youth minister from back in the day, but he has actually far surpassed uh, youth ministry. He's still very much um, an influence in many people's lives and a very cheerful and amazing mentor on that level. But he went on to get his PhD and I'm so proud of you for that. Congratulations, by the way. And more importantly, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself. Johnny, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana, really in the swamps. We had a houseboat on the Calcasieu River. In Lake did Charles. you really? We did. Yep. We hunted and fished and shrimp all the time. Almost every Sunday, that's where we were at all day long. Sunday morning, about five in the morning until late in the afternoon. You still eat shrimp? Oh, I love shrimp, crawfish. Um, fish, catfish, crab, definitely. Wow, I had no idea you grew up on it. That is so cool. I've only heard, I've seen them. I've seen them like come in, cause you know, my dad is in orange. And so like- that? Mm-hmm. They're out on my whole family. I have a whole section of family out there. So I've seen the boats come in, but I've never known anyone who lived on one. <laughs> well, they're fun. The, the danger is you, you, um, you bathe in the river. Okay, so you jump in the river and you swim and you bathe there in the river. Uh, now you have, you have uh, toilets on the houseboat, but they go right into the river. <laughs> and uh, one time we were swimming in the river, my dad and I, and an alligator came and ate, ate our dog. Just grabbed them, put them in the water. And they drowned you. They drowned you, then they eat you. Right. And so watch out for the gators when I was real small. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. You, you don't think about it, because they, they're scared of you anyway. And so you make noise, make water, they'll just run away from you. They're pretty scared. That's so interesting. When Johnny talks about his close encounter with the alligator taking his dog's life, I have to tell you, it brought up like a memory for me. I was about like five or six years old and my father and I had gone fishing. You know, my grandfather had a ranch in East Texas and it was close to the swamps and the lake. And so we would often be near the water and be genuine water baby. But in the South, there are certain rules to the water that you need to know before you come to the south. Now, if you go swimming in the ocean, you're usually fine because alligators don't like salt water. However, if you go anywhere in the inlets, the lakes, or the swamps, anywhere in the south, there are going to be gators, you know, that is their habitat. So when I was young, I was taught rule number one, do not hang your feet off the pier or off the edges of the boat. Rule number two, do not swim where you fish and put your chum. If you don't know what chum is, chum is like the the byproduct of, you know, people will buy like the spray that smells like crawfish and spray it on their bait. Or they'll get blood and put it on their fishing line and drop it in the water. You don't want to swim where you drop your bait because it's going to call in alligators. Even guards come in every once in a while. So and the third rule to always remember is the reason the first two rules are important is because an alligator can jump 
the entire length of his body, including his tail, out of the water. And it is really something to behold if you've never seen it before. You could probably Google it and watch what it looks like, but it is quite shocking and definitely kind of scary. So when I was about six, my dad and I were out in this pontoon boat and an actual alligator jumped into the boat. Now, if you're familiar with a pontoon boat, it's metal. It's what they use in the military. Um, this is what we'd use instead of bringing out the big boat, the boats that we had and the bass boats. Um, so we were just fishing in this boat and it has two little metal seats. And when the gator jumped in the boat, I jumped, I pulled my legs up immediately and like tucked them in because I was small. So I was able to do that. And my dad very quickly pulled out his hunting knife and severed the spinal column of the gator, um, which is really the only way to kill it. In the South, you know, you were, there are certain states where you're not allowed, it's illegal to shoot an alligator. So the only way you can kill them is with a bow and arrow or a knife or a spear, you know. Um, and so my dad did that because the only way you can do that is to, again, take out that um, spinal column and then my dad put the animal back into the water. Uh, now, if it was his best friend, he would have taken the gator because it takes three alligators to make one nice pair of alligator boots. Um, so this was my first experience with the gator. So when Johnny talks about that, it is incredibly frightening because these are very powerful creatures. They're like sharks. And if you've ever seen a shark film, they also jump clear out of the water. I am a genuine water baby. I love it. I've never been into termy, but I do believe in water safety. The second time I had an encounter with an alligator was very similar to Johnny because I was actually swimming in the water with him. And I was in Florida visiting my grandmother's best friend whose granddaughter was spending the summer with them. And they lived on an island in Florida. It was really beautiful. But I remember being there the first day and seeing Gator Patrol fly over the Florida area where we were. And they would pick up gators and like relocate them. And when you looked out beyond the pier of the island that they lived on, you could actually see the gator sunning about a mile and a half away on like a sand dune. And, you know, my friend's grandparents, her name was Brandy. They told us, you know, it's usually fine. You can swim during the day, um, but you want to stay away from the twilight hours because all wild animals feed at sunrise and sunset. That's why you usually get up and go fish early because that's when you can catch fish or crab or whatever it is. And at sunset, when the water is cooling down, they come out and they eat. Well, gators are the same way. So you were considered to be safe if you swim in the middle of the day. And Brandy and I were out beyond the pier. I remember very specifically, her grandfather had put out the boat so that we could either swim into the boat or we could swim back to the pier. And he all of a sudden like says, girls, you need to swim in now. And he said it with such a stern voice that Brandy and I were like, okay, let's race to the pier um, because Brandy's ma grandmother liked to bake. And you know, Brandy was diabetic, so she can only smell the <laughs> the cake or whatever her mom made um but anyway our grandmother made and so we were swimming in and um brandy goes up the ladder first because we were kind of racing and then i go to grab the ladder and put my foot on the bottom step before i could even get my foot on the step her grandfather reached down grabbed me by the waist and pulled me up now mind you this is my grandmother's best friend he hoists me up and as he hoists me up 
which caught me off guard because he didn't say anything. He just kind of grabbed me and hoisted me up. I could see the alligator coming from underneath my feet and it had to be at least 20 feet long. And now that I'm grown and understand like the severity of this, I'm so grateful for him. <laughs> uh, it was a very scary moment because he like pulled me up and I think, wow, you know, when I do this episode, I have no idea about all the people invested in my grandmother's best friend's husband um, to be at this particular point in time. So I always feel like divinity, God has a reason for everything that, you know, this couple got married and happened to buy a house on this island that years later, her best friend's granddaughter would be swimming in the water and her husband just happened to be on the pier at the exact time that the gator was coming in to feast on us, but we were not fish food. So I've been very lucky in that way. So when Johnny talks about the gator, I completely get it. So So tell me, how did you get into, what was the path for you to become a, a minister? Like what led you in that direction? Well, very interesting. I was raised in church. My dad was a bad Catholic. My mom was a bad Pentecostal. Then Mary became bad Methodist. <laughs> we never went. I went to church maybe Easter and Thanksgiving. I had good mom and dad, but they weren't involved in church at all. And so I grew up uh, really not believing in anything or believing in everything. Whatever you told me, anything. I went to the Mormon church. I went to uh, Baha'i. I, I can tell you all these kind of stories. I searched everywhere. I knew there was something out there. I didn't know what was right. I knew what to know it. As I grew older in my high school years, upper high school years, I knew a few guys who were Christians, but they were boring people. Whatever they had, I didn't want it. And so eventually uh, I was given a Bible, but not really a Bible, only just the book of John. And so I read the book of John and discovered who Christ really was and uh, what he did for me, how he died for my sins. I began to understand that. And it drew me to ask more questions. I began to ask more and more. And then believe it or not, the man that touched me the most was the Orthodox Jew who had become a Christian. Mm -hmm. Him a Christian, his mom and dad uh, um, gave him a funeral and they threw him out of the family. And, but he knew God's word well. So he came to me and he told me all about Christ again. And I listened to what it was all about. And eventually, uh, through the changed lives of my friends and this Jewish man who had changed radically, he gave everything he had for Christ. It drew me to come to the point in my life where I understood what it meant to know Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins, that by coming mm -hmm. to him and yielding my life to him, he would forgive me of all my sins and then direct my life. Uh, at that point on, it was in 1971, believe it or not, that old, uh, where my life changed radically. And so wow. the, the ministry, I was, my, my major in college is microbiology. So I was going into pathology. I love pathology. My son now is in med school in pathology and biochem and secular biology. It's really, but he is uh, researching COVID-19. Mm. I know all these little stories about COVID that, that nobody else knows much about. I can't tell you everything. It's very you interesting. Know all the, you know all the deets, huh? Yeah. yeah. And so this is, as I make this so short, but uh, my my junior year in college, I needed money my last semester. I was paying most of my own way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I got a phone call from a Methodist church saying, um, would you come be our youth minister for the summertime only? And I went, I'm, I'm not a Methodist anymore. He goes, I don't, we don't care. We know all about you. Would you come talk to us? So I went and talked to this Methodist pastor. And uh, 
I prayed about it if like God was saying do it. And so I took a summer job for three months as a youth minister at Oak Park Methodist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Lexi, I fell in love with it. I love the students and the children. Mm. It became natural to me. I never had a youth minister before. I never seen it. I went to not youth program, a camp or anything, never. So I just, I started just teaching them what I knew about Jesus, what meant a lot to me. And at that summertime, I kept thinking, can you make a living from this? Can you get paid to do this? And my pastor goes, yeah, you really can. There are youth ministers that are paid full time. And at that point, Lexi, I just knew it was God's will. And so I finished my last year mm. in college. And, um, but with a desire to go to seminary, I told my wife, I was getting ready to get married to her, and she wasn't my wife yet. So listen, I'm going into the ministry. I want to be a youth minister for all my life. And she goes, I feel good about that. And so, um, and so she majored in uh, in um, kindergarten or in education, you know, um, pre-K and young children. Okay. And y'all met in college? Met in college. Okay. Yeah. I walked into the uh, a building on college campus, really called the BCM, and sitting in this chair, was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. Beautiful eyes, kind as can be. I didn't know who she was. I walked up to her, I went, what's your name? Because my name's Ivette. And she said, what's yours? I said, my name's Johnny. And so I asked her, are you a Christian? And I thought, well, why would I date a girl's not a Christian? I don't know, I have no idea. But, and she says, yeah, I really am. So tell me how you came to know Jesus Christ. And she, so she told me, I went, that's pretty cool. And so we dated for four years and got married. Wow. Oh, um, that's sweet. I'm getting older, she stays young. She looks beautiful as she ever was, just gorgeous. Aww. So um, that's, crucial, that's close to the ministry. And I really, I struggled because I knew that a minister wouldn't make what I would make if I went to pathology and make mm -hmm. this last little story about the ministry. Before I left for the ministry, I, I needed a job for one year while my wife finished college. And so I got a job as a petroleum engineer, offshore Louisiana, did for one year, made really big bucks. When I told my boss, I'm leaving, so what are you going to do? So I'm going to seminary to be a youth minister. He goes, what? You're leaving all this money? I pay you. Great money. I'm like, yeah, you pay really good money, Mr. Huddleston. But I, I feel called to do this. Oh, called. What does that mean to be called? Mm -hmm. said, my desire is to uh, to really serve the Lord, working with teenagers. And I love them deeply. And so him and my dad weren't real happy about it. They really weren't. But after I went to, in the, into the ministry, my dad began to see what it was like. And he said, you know what? That's a pretty good job you're doing. I said, well, thank you very much, Dad. So, Aww. How did it, how, well, here, I just have a question and I'm sorry, I'm gonna take you back for a second. How did education work if you live on a houseboat? Are y'all pulled into a community? Is there a school on the ground or is there like a floating school, which would be really cold because I'd be in the pool all the time. You know, you'd no, be having a hard time getting me out of the water. That's a good one. No, you have a boat, okay, with the houseboat, right? Because right. you push the house. So the boat was only about probably two miles from the landing. Okay? So we had a car at the landing, went to the landing, a guy on the boat got in the car and drove to the, um, to school to our house and then eventually my dad had a house and a houseboat but we had two houseboats and so we'd fish and hunt on the weekends uh, and then we go back to our house in lake charles on okay. the weekdays and um and that's how we finished like that okay so your school was there in the community so you had other kids and you got <laughs> i was just curious how that worked i was like is there a floating school that i missed out on because that would be so for me i love oh. the water i'm a true i'm a genuine water baby About becoming, I didn't know any Christians that I respected. I mean, they were they were nice people, but they were boring, totally boring. And I played sports; they didn't, and I, and I didn't know any of them that I wanted to be like or that I was drawn to. And these two guys I met, Mark and Sonny, 
and they were different. You know, they, they loved life, they had a blast, they laughed a lot, they had fun, they cut up, they were good athletes, uh, they weren't strange, you know, they dated normal people, you know, they never, uh, I mean, they carried a Bible school sometimes not, but there, there was something different about them. There was a joy, maybe the wrong word, uh, a way they carried themselves that was so different. And uh, I'd ask them, hey, why are you so different than me? And they said, we're not any different than you are. We're the same as you are. We just follow Christ. And I realized then how, how big of an impact that this God had on their lives. And I knew it wasn't a game. I'd been to church before other churches. I mean, you name the denomination I've been to, it, looking at And I watched people a whole lot. And uh, there was something about them. And when I came to the point where I gave Christ my life, it really was a life change. Uh, and I, I don't mm -hmm. know. No, made a decision in my life that was that was um, extremely important to follow a God that is, is so unreal that just to know him changes your life it really does and so, yeah and I think it's so interesting that you were talking about like sometimes like you have this passion for you know the ministry and at the same time you have this gift for science you know and 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 to like you said you were struggling between oh my gosh there's so much money involved in the in the business aspect it's you so know? true of that and then you look at me and you're like oh my gosh can i really like do but this? god took care of us like i mean i don't know how to tell you we um yeah we just he just we had i'd go speak a lot of places or do youth camps or whatever and god just took care of us. We, ne we never ever lacked money i mean all that we needed um we never asked we never borrowed money from anybody we never had to give us money uh, it's just he just took care of us we need mm -hmm. just that uh, they, they did a, a big research about four years ago now well, they said, what's the what's the um, the app, the amount of money where most people are happy? Anywhere above that or below it, you're not happy. Too much or too little. And they fear that the, the, the amount of money where most people who are at that salary are at the happiest is $75,000. It's not a mm. little, it's really not. But, mm. uh, it's not too, you have just enough to take care of things, but not too much to where you're, um, you get spoiled, I guess it is. Yeah, or overburdened by it, because I'm sure there comes a point when the number is so big that it's also stressful, you know? Unless you, you know, drop it all into Bitcoin. No, just kidding. No, Dogecoin's now. It's too, too. Right, Dogecoin too. with the dog. Right. <laughs> so, how was the government's response for you during COVID 19? I know you had said to me there were two communities you were dealing with during yes. the pandemic. I when, the, when it first started, I was in Muskogee, Oklahoma, near Tulsa, in uh, about in um, July of that first summer with COVID. Uh, we had moved and took a job here in Fort Worth, back at the seminary teaching, and also being at Travis Avenue Baptist Church. And, uh, and so it's two uh, a medium-sized church in a small town, and a giant church in a in a big town. And so the the, um, the reaction was different. So the way the government began. I liked. I thought they did a pretty good job at the very beginning. Um, and for the town of Muskogee, it's a very small town. And so people aren't worried about COVID part at all. And uh, very, when I was there, there was almost nobody, but there's no one that I knew that had COVID, not a person. Mm. About 40,000 in the city, a little bit less than that maybe. And so it was not a fear for most people. It's almost as time progressed and the COVID began um, um, seeming to appear bigger in other towns, that began to scare them. And they began to ask me as the pastor, uh, should you make us wear masks or should we do this? And so we made some plans together and it ended up being, it was easier to take care of them. It really was. Here is different. You know, when I came here, I went, I'm not the pastor, but I'm second in command in a sense. I'm a discipleship pastor and I work under Drew, my pastor, who was my student at seminary. 
uh, years ago. It was my son, Ty's youth minister, and he was young. Mm. And so um, there I saw how people here, the bigger city, the more... Uh, some of the people felt like we've got masks. We can't meet in church. We got to call things off and go hide in our houses for a while. The other side was, was, no, this is crazy. If you do that, that's wrong. So there's like a little, not really a battle, but the passions in between that. What do I do? What do I do? That's pretty right. Hard. And so I think as time progressed, I, I wasn't, and it, am not as pleased as I was when it first started in the government regulations. I'm, I'm not. They're changing all the time. Things are happening. I, I don't think they've sat back and really thought of what they're doing. So right uh, my field and then here my son's view of COVID-19 uh, has uh, affected I guess what I know and what I feel about the COVID case so how do you think that they can do it better in the future man that's a good question um I don't I don't know how to say there it's the PM because the uh the um the COVID epidemic or pandemic how you want to call it is different than the spanish flu or polio mm -hmm. or measles or, or what happens and, and there, i don't know i don't feel like lexi okay here's what i change more honesty more um uh, really sharing their thoughts uh, i think maybe we might have jumped into the back actually a little bit too quickly without knowing about now i know only what six or seven died of uh, the blood clots. And there's about what four thousand more died after they had the vaccine, but that's very little compared to the huge number that took the vaccine. Very right, little. right. But I, I think we could have known the dangers and how to be careful of those. Um, I, I struggle with the definition of this vaccine and other vaccines, because I know vaccines, and so I, I just wish there'd be a little more honesty. Um, and then I wish they would have made a, a gradual move, like let's all mask, let's stay out for a while, and then we slowly move slowly and what we really know is happening so we don't go forward too fast we have to go backwards there's always mm -hmm. good bad i wish we had thought better about the school systems you know the elementary schools and the high schools right. i deal with them a lot now that's so why i know it's my wife's a teacher my son's a teacher in the school systems and so i know what they're going to there there is such confusion uh, i wish they had to stop for a while cut off school for a month or two weeks or whatever and really think through this process and come up with a real a real plan where um is that taking so long to get to where you're at? Does that make sense? Right, right. No, well, and I think something you said that was really important was when you said in the other town, you got together with everyone and together y'all came up with a plan. And I think when people feel like the community feels like they're involved in part of the plan, they're not as um, fear-based. And it's a more logical because you're working together to try to create a solutions, you know, for that work that benefit everyone as best as we possibly can. And then when you roll those out, you have the support of a small community unit that says, hey, we're in this together and we're working together as a team. Whereas in the bigger cities, it's pretty much, this is what you're doing. This is how you're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just a small amount, like an elder board, which is important. It really is. Or a body of deacons to make a decision. I know in Muskogee, mm -hmm. this is a lot, when it first happened, when we first, uh, the church first re reopened again, where we had all associate distancing, we all had mask code, and this lady, an older woman, not a younger woman, would be, no, I would be nervous getting COVID. She walked in and she pulled off the markers that blocked off, you know, made distancing. She said, so I sit where I want to sit. I'm 85 years old. This is what I will sit. You know, what do you do? <laughs> you can't carry her off. But yeah. I think you're right. the more we met together and we brought in all these physicians that, that were from our church, these doctors, nurses, lawyers, 
school teachers all together and made plans and that pretty much calmed down our city for our our people, our people you know mm-hmm. they, made it fun. they really felt like we cared for them we weren't uh, taking it too lighthearted or too deep and we trusted their thoughts and then when i said here are 15 doctors from our church and here's a couple of dentists and here's school teachers and some law enforcement officers uh, and there are people you know you voted for you trust them this is what they said and we brought to the church and they voted on it and we added back on that and it really made it go so well almost kind of fun you know, it really was <laughs> On the big city, I think we're more like the little old lady. Like, don't tell me where to stand. Three feet back. But you know, my mom jokes and says anyone over the age of 65 does not care about rules. She goes, you live long enough to a point where you're like, eh, whatever. You know, it's not going to affect me. Right. No, absolutely. So how did it affect like worship for you guys? Like you're, um, you have a church band or anything like that? Yeah, we, um, we initially did pure live stream, right, at first, okay? So everybody watched live stream. For many of the older adults, that was the first for them. They had never done live streaming. So they, mm-hmm. they didn't like it at first, but they came to like it later. Then we moved from there uh, into um, um, outdoors. So our church in Oklahoma had a very high, oh, 30 steps. So it was really high off the street. And so and we had a parking lot right across the little road. And so we had outdoor. Uh, we call it the drive-in church. We had the cars, they all came parked out in front of me. Uh, they had cops come by, fire departments, it was really so much fun. And they got out of their cars and sat like, like you're at a soccer game. That's how it was. And I was on um, about half of the stairs on a little stand. Uh, and it was, our, our praise band came out on each side of me. And uh, they all felt safe because we were far apart from each other. And we had, we even had the Lord's Supper at times. We did uh, offerings. It was so much fun. And so some stayed in the cars, some got out of the cars. And I can't tell you how much fun that was. It really was a blast. Some brought, we had, eventually we had picnics where they bought, they bought their own food, ate in their car, okay? Mm-hmm. They all laugh. It was just so much fun. So then we started doing like different funny little um, jokes. Like we, we decorate the stage in the auditorium, okay? Based upon something like my living room while you're outside. One time we, we had the praise band go do the music at night with a fire, with a, uh, a big fire put behind him, you know, uh, and uh, and outside in the dark, and everybody else at their house is watching it. And it was, it was just fun. So much. Fun. You had to get, you had to get creative, and you were always good at with that. You know, for y'all don't don't, don't know, uh, Johnny was my youth pastor growing up, and we were always doing summer camp. I think I've spent, oh my gosh, half of my youth, uh, you know, at summer camp with you guys every summer. And you, that's one thing you're great at is injecting humor into whatever you're doing but it's beautiful that that creativity shows up in your worship it's art i love laughing you know i always thought when i was younger i thought christians were boring they never laughed <laughs> and i thought how could they not I mean look what god did for them how do you happen to be happy and that's why i love laughing i like doing crazy things like we have dead animal skits at the camps and just whatever i can do you know so same there it's really fun well and what i look at too is i you know before i even knew you just hearing your story of you know that you grew up on a houseboat and used to do shrimping and then you met this man who was you know Jewish and he influenced you spiritually I mean that's when you you don't really recognize all the people that pour into someone's life that also and then you're pouring into my life and all the other youth whose lives you poured into now a few of them I still stay in touch with you know but but it's an amazing thing so I never knew a mom and dad that was a Christian you know, so when I met the first ones, I, I learned from them how a man should love a woman and treat a woman and vice versa and your kids. And it was it was fun learning those kind of things for me. It really was. It really was. And how has that like 
what are your top three things as a man? You know, you're not just a spiritual leader, but like as a man, how have you felt like you needed to lead during the pandemic? For them to lead? Well, mm -hmm. hey, number one, first, um, what I saw it do, do to me and most of my people in my church, okay, and my friends I know outside of church too, it, it COVID took away everything that we valued, almost, okay? It took away our entertainment, what we enjoyed doing, uh, sports, relationships, people that died that I knew and loved very deeply. It took away um, church, which I love very deeply for a long time, or, or changed how we did church. I mean, mm -hmm. totally changed. It, it took away our health for many people. I had COVID. My wife got, we both had COVID. Uh, that was very interesting to me, uh, what, what it did to us. And the, the, the fear at first, when you hear you have it, and then when you go through oh, it, sure. not that bad, but I'm pretty healthy for my age. And so it, it took away everything. So for me, it, it helped me a lot for my church saying, listen, it was I think what God's doing with COVID, I'm not saying God caused it, I didn't say that, I said, but God, if God's in control, he allowed it to take place. Maybe to show us um, to be careful Keep enjoying life, but don't base your life around certain things that can be taken away from you. In a second, I mean, COVID within a month, everything changed. People lost their jobs, lost their livelihood. Uh, people committed suicide. They got lonely and down and depressed. That was some, a surprise. Oh, some with diabetes or lung problems died uh, with just a little this little virus. It was scary, and I think all that we value made us reevaluate what was important in life to us. That's what I thought about, and also what is important to me as a pastor. Uh, and when is laughter? I still love because with, with I don't, I don't want to die, Lexi, but I'm not scared of death. Not at all. Right. I'm more scared of to die. You know, I don't want to die. I want to die quick. <laughs> not slow. If I can die. <laughs> and so, but I, I love it. So I think it made me in churches, all of us really rethink what we told our people, what really matters in life. That's why part of my poetic address deals with that. But I, but I came to realize what was really important to me, what I valued before. Well, and what I see in that too is restoration. Yeah, yeah. You really restored me a lot in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, you're still here with us. Yeah. And that's amazing into itself. You know, there's quite, you know, there's a few people I'm amazed, you know, some people that are very immune compromised that are still here that I'm so grateful. And some were healthy and they died. I mean, they really, I knew some mm -hmm. of them were But we never know what's inside, what they really had that the COVID reacted with, which is very interesting. Right, and I, like I was saying, I think heaven has been very busy. You know, the, the line has to be like Walmart on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you know, like the angels are working overtime. But I think what it is too is when you have faith, when you have, you know, um, a Christian background or you're a faith-based and you've grown up in that, you're not as fearful of death or even for your loved ones. Like we were talking about with my grandmother, it's because you know, you know that she had a higher faith and she believed. You know in jesus and 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 because of that it's it's like it takes away you know it doesn't take away the grief because you're still going to be human you know but at the same time at least i know she's not suffering you know she's not suffering from cancer anymore other people i love aren't suffering i, I think what helps a lot too i thought this came more real to me after covid or during really doing COVID. you know I, I always knew that christianity is not a religion it's a relationship with god through mm -hmm. Christ. and so during that time of COVID, it became more real to me uh his the, the real relationship i have with him and how much what that means is I, I want to know him deeper and deeper i don't want to know um him as some religious icon that uh i want to know him as my god closely and that changed how i begin to spend time with him so it wasn't just in prayer only or in reading the bible but it was spend time looking what the bible says and applying that to my life and who he is and coming to love him as i would love my wife the more i knew my wife the more i love her alexi 
and the same way with mm-hmm. God, the more I know him and walk with him and see him in your life or others' lives who I've talked to, the more I, I'm drawn to know him deeply. And it's funny, the, the only place in the Bible where Jesus said to a person, you know, uh, you, you're not going to heaven. What he said, he didn't really say that. He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. You know, and the guy said, but I cast out demons. I, I ministered. I gave money to the poor. I did all this stuff in heals. I never knew you. And so I know that Christianity is not religion or being a Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever you are. It's not that. It's knowing him personally. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between, I think, um, Christianity and just a pure religion in the song. It's a yeah. So what's been like the scripture that you felt like the most comfort in? Oh, has there been any? Have you had any favorites like during the yeah, season? I opened it up so I wouldn't forget. But it's in Isaiah 49 and it's verse 16. And it says, I love this. Um, it says, uh, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And it says, even these may forget. But God goes, I will never forget you. Behold, I have carved your name on the palms of my hand and your walls are continually before me. So he said, he didn't just write my name, Johnny, Lexi on the palm of his hand. He carved my name into his palm. So this, my hand is a part of my body I see the most. So he's always seeing, ah, oh, Johnny Durant, I love her. Lexi Lumia, I love her too. Those, those who know God, he keeps their, their, their names carved in his hand. I went, oh my gosh, is that? That better not case, if the COVID gives me more lung problems or whatever, I'm still on the palms of his hands. He'll never give me anything more than I can take. And whatever he gives me is all for, for who I'm supposed to be. And anyway, life is not going to last forever. I can't put my faith in this life. I'm not going to be here that long. 70, 80, 90 years when I'm really lucky. 100 years if I live in Louisiana and get more crawfish. You live longer. <laughs> it's all the shrimp and the iodine in your veins. Definitely what it is, you know. <laughs> but the sugar I love. Well, it's because we sugar love the cane. water. You know, we get to live uh, a little bit longer. <laughs> yes. I, I do miss, I miss being there. What I don't miss about Louisiana is the, the humidity and the mosquitoes are all mm. absolutely. Yeah. You know, the thing about you is you're, you, you're like the spiritual version of Mr. Holland's opus. Have you ever seen that film? Yeah, I have. Yes, I sure have. Yeah. You just don't realize how many lives you've impacted, you know, and, and you have, you've impacted us all in like a really powerful way. It's the best job in the world. You can <laughs> You don't get rich, but you get enough all that you need and you get the love on students all your life. And I'm so grateful that you took the job over, you know, science. <laughs> Not that you can't still love science, because, you know, you could always invent something. You can invent like a new bug spray or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help you because people, they don't think a scientist is going to be a Christian. But for me, my my, stu- my studies in science, especially in micro and biochem and, oh gosh, I could go forever. Uh, I, I can't even know there was a God. Mm. There's so much design in nature, so much pure design that it couldn't just happen. And the more I studied, the more I went, oh my goodness. So the more I learned about science, the more I felt more in love with Jesus. And so this is not just some story tale or some book somebody wrote a million years ago, but it's reality. It really is. Well, I think about that like defining moment when you were you know, working, you know, that last year to help your wife through college and you were working and you're like, you know, doing the petroleum business, making all this money and you're like, Let's see, which way am I gonna go, you know? And you, you dove in and you followed your heart and like, look at the impact you've made. Well, my, my boss, when I left the oil business, he, he called me in his office, he says, you understand if you go to the ministry that your children will see the toys of other kids in their backyard and you'll never be able to afford to buy them any toys. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly true or no? But that's not true at all. And so, at least we share, you know. We had many great summers, many, many great summers. Oh, we did. Good time together, Lexi. Love you. Now, when you first called me back a few weeks ago, I went, Lexi, she's still living. She's here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I am here. You know, and it, God's been really good, even through, even through the storm of the pandemic, and the winter storm, and the hurricane. <laughs> that shock. Car accident. Like we're we're still here. Yeah. You He's know. Fine. Restored. My son now is following science. You know, he's going to med school. And so it's funny to get with him about what he's learning where I would have gone if not for ministry. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Mm -hmm. well, and you don't, you know, you don't realize the impact that art, you know, through your music, you're ministering to people, right? And that is arts moving electronically, digitally, however it goes out, but it's ministering to people. In a really powerful way so you're keeping people connected even across distance i'll tell you one thing that's interesting about ministry or, or some of the guys you've talked to already um in muskogee it's an older town and i did 70 funerals in about four and a half years and when you're with people at, really at all ages a lot of the older ones at the end of their lives and you hold their hands as they die and you watch them die it, mm -hmm. it really um makes you think about what you believe in uh, and you say you begin to realize the closer you, the older you get, I will die. I am going to die. It's not something you just say, it's something that you see. And how people handle death is very, very interesting to me. Because some are very happy. But one lady said, um, Pastor, are you praying for me? I said, Yeah, I pray for you every day. And I do. And she goes, Are you praying for me to, to, to get better? I went, Well, yes, yeah. stop. Don't pray. I'm 87 years old. All my children are Christians. All my grandchildren are Christians. I'm, I've struggled with for a long time. I'm getting old. I can hardly walk anymore. I'm ready to go home. So don't pray anymore. Just be to die easily. I said, okay, I've been praying. And, so, and she died about a week later. Such a sweet lady. Uh, tough as nails, too. Tough as nails. But golly as can be, too. I held my grandmother's hand when she passed. Also, with you, it's fun as life goes on and I get older and I move around, whatever. It's fun to see people like you come back into my life or my, me into your life. It's fun to see what they're doing now, what's happening. Uh, with have gone through the good things and the bad things. We all have bad things we go through. It's not going to be an easy life for anybody. Mm -mm. Maybe you can get that way. <laughs> but I think when you have faith, it 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 makes the road much easier. You know, I shared a post yesterday on Mother's Day from it was an. I just happened to, I was trying to get into one of my old email accounts and I saw my grandmother's folder file. You know, we were very close, and so I opened the folder file with her emails. You know, she was in her seventies emailing me. <laughs> And so, um, cause I had lived in New York for a while. So she would email me and like, I found this email where she talks about, you know, in her life, you know, people looking into her life might've said, oh, she went through hell and she suffered a lot, but she's saying she never really felt like she was suffering because she always stayed close to God. She always, you know, stayed in her faith. And because of that, it was like, it, it wasn't what people thought it was, you know? And she found yeah. her strength in God and in her faith. Did, did, were you able to go to her funeral with COVID? Was it a good one? Well, she she passed years ago. My grandmother actually passed in um, 2014. Okay. She passed, oh wait, remember I was telling you, I told you no one in my family is allowed to die between Thanksgiving and Easter, right? Yes. <laughs> she passed after Easter. <laughs> she literally passed like the weekend after Easter. Oh man. But I just stumbled on that email like on Mother's Day and I was like, this is really, and I posted it on my Facebook with her, with her, my grandfather's picture that I never met because he passed, my mom's dad passed when she was like 13. 
I never met him. Was it hard on your mom when she died? Yeah, well, it hard on my mom and hard on my grandmother because she was a single parent for a long time with three girls. Well, did her dad, did her husband die or did he leave her? Uh, yeah, he he died. He had a very rare um, disease. Some He had to have a eye surgery. And when they eye surgery, there was a sack behind the eye and they popped it and it killed him instantly. It's like one in a million people get it. It's a very, very rare, rare, rare disease. Was it and blood so, clot of some type or what was it? You know, I'll have to find out the name of it. I wrote it in a book and I'll let you know, but it's very, very rare. Yeah. Yes. My father died that way. Not quite. I. Oh, wow. Did he really? Yeah. But it, they think it was caused by, um, he was a fireman. And so in those years, they didn't know how bad asbestos was. Okay. So I had his eye that burst on him. Um, and it was kind of a, very similar, I guess. Well, that makes me wonder because he was a, he did cars. He was the guy that would detail all the cars. Um, like he would paint the cars. He had a, uh, he, I think he worked for Ford um, doing the cars. Um, but, and I'm wondering, it could have been asbestos, you know? Find out. Since you're a science person, I'll find out. Yeah, a long time ago, science person. <laughs> I mean, I still Fascinating though. Like, so your, your father was a fireman and then look at you. Yeah, first guy to go to college. My, uh, my family. Do you have siblings? I have a sister. Yep. Okay. She's like tall still. And the Hurricane uh, Laura destroyed her house totally. So she lives in a house with uh, no roof because they're, they're so slow getting it fixed. But they have a blue tarp over it, but there's nothing below it. And it's mosquitoes are so terrible, terrible mosquitoes. Wow. So it's horrible. Yeah, one sister. One sister. Is she is she in Louisiana still? Louisiana. This is in uh, Moss Bluff, which is a, a, a um, small town next to Lake Charles. Okay, okay. But that's so amazing. Amazing how far you've come. <laughs> well, I guess so. So when did you finish your PhD? What was like the inspiration for that? Well, the, I, I didn't get it. I did not get a PhD to teach. I really didn't at first. I wanted, you know, when, when you get your bachelor's, you're learning your um, your job, correct? And you get your master's, you learn how to master your job. When you get your PhD, you're learning how to teach or and research. And I wanted to be the best youth nurse I could ever be. So I thought if I could learn how to research better, you know, and so a PhD is basically a research degree, is what it is. And so I want to know how do you find answers when I don't know where to go? You know, or if I saw a word in the Bible, how do I know what that word really means in that language without going to somebody else? I want to know myself. Mm -hmm. I'm be the best youth minister in the world. How can I learn about uh, what youth are going through, uh, their psychology, their, the philosophy of teenagers? Why do they do this and do that? You know, uh, I just want to learn all I could. So I took my PhD. When I finished my PhD, I really had planned to stay in youth ministry and just use my, what I've known to write and to know what teenagers. But I was out about maybe three months when I got a call from the seminary. I said, would you come teach here? I went, well, I don't really want to a whole lot. I really want to work with kids. I said, we'll pray about that for a few months. So I did. But I said, Johnny, you can go to seminary and I'll teach youth ministers. And they will go out and spread more than you could ever do by yourself. I thought, you're right. And so that's what I did for, um, gosh, for 12 years at Southwestern. Because you're teaching people that will leave you, that one person will leave your class and go touch probably a couple of thousand in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So a class of seven, many people, which is what your average class is back in that those years. You, that times a thousand times 12 years is a lot of people. I thought I can impact more youth that way. And you can also do youth camps because when you're a teacher in seminaries, your summertime is free. 
do whatever you want to do. So I tra- I've taught in, in Singapore, I've taught in Malaysia. Uh, I can do youth camps, I do a lot all the time. So I could, I could expand what I know and share Christ with more people. Just a mm-hmm. blast. When, they think, when you're a PhD, they think you know everything. <laughs> really good. And you get to impact missions. Yes, I love missions. I love overseas. I love other cultures so deeply. Such a joy for me to do that. My favorite country I visited, I love Malaysia. I just loved it so much. But we almost moved there for a year. The teaching really? Years. I did some classes in Singapore and some classes in, in Malaysia. I, the food is great. The people are wonderful. Uh, I just loved it. Hmm. That's amazing. It's amazing how many cultures like you, you get to be a part of. It was fun to see them. They're different. But but people are the same. They're all the same, but their their culture is different. So their lens that they look through is a little bit different. And I love that. Now, I love being challenged in my faith. I just love that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's fun. So everyone, my name is Lex Lumaire. I'm with the United States Department of Arts and Culture. And Johnny. Darwin is going to read his People's State of the Union 2021 Poetic Address. As I look into the future, 100 years into the future from 2021, and reflect on the focus of my life, what would I say to this future generation, maybe even my own great-great-grandchildren, of what I've learned about life as I near my old age? Really, the longer I live, the more I realize how quickly and fleeting time really is. I would challenge you to value greatly and consider wisely how you choose to live the precious time that God has given you. Every woman, every man pours their life into something. What will you pour your life into? What will you spend your life doing? A pastor friend of mine passed on to me, and I'll pass on to you, words that change my entire way of thinking. He said these words to me, if I pour my life into buildings, they will eventually be torn down. If I pour my life into projects, they will always come to an end. If I pour my life into fame, I will soon be forgotten. If I pour my life into money, it will soon be spent. If I pour my life into possessions, they will eventually belong to someone else. If I pour my life into experiences, they will become distant memories. If I pour my life into organizations, they will change. If I pour my life into benevolence, it's a good thing, they'll only be temporary. If I pour my life into pleasures, they won't last. If I pour my life into wisdom, it will be surpassed. If I pour my life into entertainment, it will leave me empty and self-absorbed. But if I pour my life into knowing, I love this, knowing God through Jesus Christ and training men and women to help others do the same. And what I do in this life will never fade from the earth, and will echo throughout eternity. Now I love most of the things I just mentioned. I love them a lot and most are good, but none are gonna last, not a one of them. So spend your life wisely. Jesus says in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no man and no woman comes to God but through me. Live your life wisely. Thanks for listening to Charity Network News with Lex Lumiere. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out online or please leave a review. Join us again next week. Until then, focus on creating solutions and making a positive impact in the world with your presence. Be kind, volunteer, pay it forward and keep shining your love light.